Welcome to Executive Tools, Ditch the Ladder, Part 3. This cast answers these questions. How do executives manage their careers? Is career management the same for managers and executives? What is a career ladder for executives? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Hey folks, Mark here to remind you again about the M Conference, October 26th and 27th in Chicago. We have a full lineup of speakers. In fact, I think I'm being pushed out of speaking because there's so much demand for some other speakers. We have two VPs, a managing partner, a chief people officer, an executive vice president, a general manager, a CEO, and a deputy director of a major U.S. federal government institution or department. These are people in our community that are doing this to benefit those folks who come to the M Conference and to strengthen your network because you'll get to know them in the two days you spend at the M Conference. So come to the website, sign up for the M Conference. All right, Mark, last couple of shows, we've been talking about kind of ditching the ladder and talking about the executive career ladder, but it's it's not a la- ladder, right? It's a matrix. And so we talked about ditching ladder. We discussed in some detail the matrix and the importance of results and relationships. Yeah. And our next point is open to opportunities, right? And we have yeah. an entire career tools cast for the concept of open to opportunities, but I think it's um, particularly relevant and important in the, repeating that in the context of executive context. Yes, it is. Because you can get by in your career. You won't have as many chances. You won't learn as much about career opportunities and so on if you aren't open to opportunities when you're a manager or an individual contributor. It certainly works there, but it's absolutely essential in executive life. You mean you don't go around submitting resumes for CEO open positions? That's not not quite how it works. I don't. Maybe you're asking that question because you do. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, apparently it's not a very successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't had a career change in 20 years, so yeah, maybe that's a problem. I, I don't get calls back. I don't. Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Since the phone still ain't ringing, I assume it still ain't you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So most of us, most people. Think of the job search as a kind of binary set of choices. Either you're looking or you're not looking. And people say that. I've heard people say that. No, I'm not looking. Like, dude, I'm not asking you to look. I'm asking you to pay attention to this. And that approach, that binary approach is wrong. And it's especially true for executive uh, and the better state of mind that it actually encompasses both that you're okay, and yet you're smart, um, is open to opportunities. Look, true looking, when you say to somebody, yeah, I'm I'm looking, that applies when you've decided you want a new role um, and you're, you're doing something to achieve that. You have probably already mentally left the organization. You've made that mental half step away and you're actively seeking. Um, kind of like a hunter, okay, going after specific prey. In fact, I know some people that when they're looking, when they're seeking, the prey is so specific that you could hit them on the head with another opportunity that is different and perhaps better if they reframe their mindset and they can't, they can't even talk about it because they're so arrow-like focused on what they're seeking. 
I think part of what gets in people's head is they think of this, let's say, executive headhunting, right? These calls are going to get as something like, hey, we'd like you to come in and interview with seven people and spend a day much like you would might experience early in your career. But it does not feel like that. It feels like conversations, right? Oh, Talking absolutely. to people, having lunch. It doesn't start off as, quote, unquote, a job. I mean, it is an interview. Don't get me wrong. Right. But, but it's not in the context of, hey, send me your resume and we're going to send you through the grindstone. No, exactly. And look, we talked about looking at any other time for if you're thinking binary, if you're smart and you want to move away from binary, instead of thinking of yourself as not looking, simply change your mindset. It's your mind. You can change it to being open to opportunities. Meaning I'm not looking. I'm not seeking. I haven't left. I haven't taken that half step mentally yet. I'm happy where I am. And, you know, the, the example I always use to make the point about open to opportunities is somebody offered you twice as much money in this city you always want to live in, working for a high quality company. And guys, don't assume this doesn't happen. It does. Would you say no because you're not looking? Well, you know, I've got family issues and everything else. Well, okay, but on something like that, you got to talk to your spouse or your partner at least. Double the money, better location company you've always wanted to work for, I, you know, when you say not looking, that seems to me to be closed mindedness. And it's actually a perverse form of loyalty. You know, I always tell people that managers can't demand loyalty. And if you seek loyalty, you won't get it. And I think there are plenty of people who call their loyalty to their, actually, uh, they say they have loyalty, but what they have is fear. They, mm. they are in their job. They're comfortable. They don't want to go through the tumble and rumble of a job search and potentially be told no, which now that I think about it, I've always told people, lots of CEOs I know have been fired. And I've said to people, I, I got fired once and it took me about 15 minutes to get over it. And it was one of the most powerful lessons I ever had. And it led to me forming Horseman and Company, of course. But I, I tell people, and they kind of think it's just a joke or a one-off or a snide comment, everybody ought to get fired once because then you realize you're not your job. You're going to be okay. Uh, you can't predict that until it actually happens. Now, folks, I'm not suggesting that you should get fired from a job where you're barely being paid enough. You're living month to month. You're worried about your spouse and your kids and so on, and you have bills to pay and so on. I'm not suggesting that. But if you have some degree of financial care and you have followed our guidance regarding six months to a year worth of cash in the bank, it might be good for you to get fired. And the same thing applies in interviewing. I think it's great for people to actually be told no in an interview they really like and, and to reflect on it for a minute. And that's a, a small form of being fired, if you will, uh, in advance and recognizing that, okay, that happened. It happened to me. It happened outside of me. I can decide what I want to take into my mind, to my heart, to my family. And okay, they made a mistake. And there are plenty of opportunities out there. We're recording this in the middle of 2022. There are lots of openings out there, folks. And I just think that saying to yourself, I'm not looking, 
is putting blinders on your career. And I can assure you, the people who have highly successful careers do not think that. They live in the world of open to opportunities. And the idea that it's binary, and therefore, you can only be looking when you're seeking, and you can only be looking when you're, when you're saying, I'm ready to leave, misses all kinds of opportunities. Because opportunities happen all the time. The, one of my favorite phrases is, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And the lesson of that aphorism is that the world is always teaching. The yeah. world is always providing you opportunities to learn. And you are only aware of them when you think of yourself as a student and you want to learn. If you shut yourself down, you will not see the opportunities as they pass by. And you won't know to evaluate them and to say, gee, I never thought of it that way. I could go to this town that may not be my favorite, but the corporate headquarters of this company, which I surely could get to in the next three to five years, is right next to where my parents live and they're getting older. Right. Right. And so the thing that's hurtful about looking versus not looking is the not looking thing. Now, looking is also a problem. And that's why smart people in their careers embrace the idea of open to opportunities. If you are open to opportunities and when the student is ready, the teacher appears, you'll get new and different. And in some cases, because there's a bell curve around them, better opportunities to take a look at because you will notice when they happen. Again, they'll either pass you by if you're not looking or they won't if you are open. You don't have to be looking. You just have to be open. You probably know people in your career who always seem to have the next big thing dropped in their lab. It didn't drop in their lab, okay? They're not smarter than you. They're not more knowledgeable than you, though they probably do have a better network, which is a form of smarts. They're just open to opportunities. They don't lock themselves into a role and into a mindset of, I'm here, and I can only be here. For the really technical, geeky people out there, it's like Schrodinger's cat. You can be both, alive and dead, at the same time. Here, here's a scenario. An acquaintance mentions they got a new job. And they've been authorized to bring on three new team members. Your acquaintance is complaining a little. He's, he's saying, we're all the good electrical engineers. Because the resume he or she is seeing have been average at best. A normal reaction from a lot of people, especially if you're not looking, is to commiserate. God, sorry, you know, stinks to be you, buddy. And, and to move on from that. But an open opportunities reaction is to say, actually, it sounds like a great opportunity. Can you tell me more? Maybe I can help. Now, maybe you're not a fit for that job, but you make yourself, you know, useful in terms of your network. And right. then one of the people you help go to work there say, you know what, old boss, you'd be really good for this other opportunity over here. And now you have an opportunity that may have fact have fallen in your lap. It didn't fall in your lap. Right. You, you were smarter. You behaved effectively, professionally, smartly around the opportunity and suddenly more things appear. Yeah, just think about how, how do you help relationships? Well, by helping other people, right? Yeah, it's the things go. they need, right? Yeah. And learn this too. Your acquaintance would not have mentioned an opening you could fill if he were not considering you as a possible applicant. People miss this all the time. People don't say to you, here's an opportunity that's possible. Even if they're thinking about you, they may not say they're thinking about you. And when we, when we say asking more, 
uh, you know, I want to know more about the opportunity. That's not you applying for the job. It's not you pressuring him or her to interview you or saying, you know, they're, they're not saying I'll offer you or I'll take the job if you offer it to me. It's just literally being willing to have the conversation that might lead to a new role when it comes up. Even if it doesn't lead to this role, when he says this role has requires this and you say, I don't have that, I have this, which you may not know about. He says, oh, well, we've got a guy looking for those people too. And you would have never known that. It's tangential to him. And he would have never said it to you um, because he didn't know that you had that specialty. and. How else would he have known unless he was talking to you about careers and opportunities? How else would that happen unless you were open enough to have the conversation? Yeah, I mean, a phrase I had after this career tools cast came out, uh, and I made the point, I think, in that cast that if you were a manager or a contributor, this is a great sort of advanced move, but it's standard operating procedure among executives. Somebody wrote in, as they often do after a cast, and said, yeah, Mark, I've always said to people, I don't know where I learned it. Sounds like something my dad would say. But anytime somebody says, hey, let me tell you about this thing. The first thing this person says is, I'm game. I mean, I'm open mm. to it. I'm up for it. Let's talk about it. So here's some other ways that might surprise you that have probably happened to you and you may not have seen them as an opportunity. Somebody more senior in your organization says to you, have you ever considered something in sales or operations or customer service? Now, most people think, oh, I'm in trouble. They want me out of engineering or operations or whatever. No, fool. <laughs> no, they're trying to broaden your career. It's the matrix. You're going to go sideways sometimes. You might even go sideways and be chief of staff for somebody who's a general manager, and you might actually technically be at the same salary level as general manager. So becoming her chief of staff drops you down a level. But chief of staff is a great position, and general manager is too, obviously. So an acquaintance asks, acquaintance asks, how would you feel about living in Cincinnati? Right? That's an odd question. Why would they ask me that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, well, guess what? Guess what people say? Guess what people say? They shut down the conversation. No, I'm good here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Yeah. And the person goes, huh? Okay. Yeah. The answer to that question, by the way, is depends on the opportunity. I might, sure. Now, I don't particularly like cold, but if I were an executive somewhere and somebody said, How would you feel about living in Boston? I said, You know, I could get to like the socks, certainly. Probably couldn't like the Celtics, but I love Boston, the town. <laughs> you know, I don't like the weather, but for the right opportunity, yeah. Psh, yeah. what are we talking about? What are we and talking all your, about here? And Put all your negatives have nothing to do with whether you accept the job or not, so. Yeah. And then the guy says, yeah, we're, we're looking for a CEO. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. You know, if yeah. somebody's going to pay me five, 10 million bucks a year, I can get out of Boston whenever I want. I could live on the harbor. I could probably make two. I'm a happy person. I'll be fine. <laughs> um. A recruiter asked, what's your current situation? That is the entree to an open to opportunities conversation. And if you say, no, I'm good. Uh, if you think you're winning loyalty points by telling people who mention things to you, I'm good. Folks, you are wrong. The person who you're going to be loyal to isn't in the conversation. 
If it's an internal person talking to you and they're talking about internal opportunities, you don't need to be loyal to your direct boss. You might choose to tell her what's happening because she's been a great mentor and a clear leader and somebody that you would work for for the rest of your career as her success drags you upward. But none of this is about loyalty. This is not about forswearing your loyalty. Yeah, I, w- I would describe you can be loyal and look at other opportunities, right? Yeah, yeah. A friend says to you, hey, I don't know if you know, but Joe, the VP, was asking about your job history the other day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that means somebody's thinking about other opportunities for you. Oh, really? Did you, did you tell him? Do I? Um, you know, I'd be happy to send him an email and say, by the way, here's my job history here. Here's a resume, if it helps. And if I can answer any questions, I'll be happy to. Yeah. Maybe you're asked to consult or provide advice to a team or a project. Same thing. That's an opportunity. You might be in a project and be being evaluated for whether or not you could make a move to where that project leader is centered, wherever he or she might be. You're asked to speak to an individual or a group or a team about a subject you're knowledgeable in. I'll tell a funny story that probably won't paint me in a good light. I didn't know it at the time, but in my ninth grade year, I went to a middle school in Arcadia, California, Dana Junior High School. And in my ninth grade year, I was told that they were going to do a thing where students were going to make the morning announcement over the loudspeaker rather than the principal or the vice principal. And I was one of the kids. I was, you know, I was a shiny kid. I had a good grade point (laughs) average and my family was well known and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I was on the football team, blah, blah. Okay. So they say, okay, good. Well, next Tuesday, you and I think her name was Andrea, Andrea Hayes. I think that's right. We had to go and just practice for a minute with the microphone, right? One of those all school microphones. And then the day after that, I made an announcement. And the day after that, she made an announcement. And then there were no more announcements made by kids. And about a month later, this would have been, I don't know, January, they announced that the two graduation speakers were Mark Horseman and Andrea Hayes. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And they wanted to see whether or not I could do the thing that they were thinking about asking me to do. Oh, that is a, that, that is a great, I love that strategy. That is awesome. How, how old was I? I was 15, you know? That's awesome. And, and I, I thought I was pretty naive at times in my career, certainly times in the Army, although I did have a penchant, as you all know, Mike, for telling people exactly what I thought in the Army, which also probably is naive. But what, what, is a, what does a ninth grader know? Uh, and so, yeah, I spoke at, I spoke at graduation. Well, you remember the, the story of Kathy. And, and folks, if you don't know the story, Kathy used to work for me at MCI. She was one of the executives that reported to me. But Back when she was a manager, right? I used to, in my head, every time I went to another organization and they and the managers were briefing on what they did, I loved it. And every oh. time somebody presented, I was asking a question: <laughs> Do I want this person to work for me? Every yes. single time. And and she presented, I was like, Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's gonna work for me someday. Yeah, squared away. Yeah, Kathy Stoltz, fantastic. Take the opportunity. Yeah. Um, someone in HR says to you, do you know so-and-so? If you don't, you should get to know them. Well, that means so-and-so mentioned you in a conversation. 
and they know something about you, so they have you at a disadvantage. And this is you being open to opportunities. Now, for some of you, you're listening to this and say, well, this is a lot of talking to other people. I'm not a talking to other people kind of person. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike just buzzed you guys. Mike's not exactly at times a talking to other people person either. But from a career perspective, if you, I mean, if you're going to tell your spouse and your kids, I'm doing my very best, you've got to be willing to do this stuff. And even if you move to a lateral job, but you like your boss better and your skills are more aligned. How is that not a good move for your career? We talked before about how the ladder's vertical and and executive uh, careers are matrixy and sideways and backwards and webby and um, nonlinear. And that absolutely could be the case. If you're happier, if you're more centered, if you're doing work that more, more aligns with what you want and your boss is better, you're going to deliver higher results. You're going to attract other people to you who are similar to you, and that's going to help you be more successful. And that inevitably leads, if you're thinking about becoming an executive, to having the mindset of being open to opportunities. So when those opportunities, like these examples here, drop in your lap, you can do something about them. Someone says, I need to fill a role as a blank and assume that blank is whatever's next for you in your career. Do you know anyone? Duh. That's about as direct as it gets, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, you yeah. can't miss that. Folks, these are the gentle, ind indirect approaches that are used to find out if you're interested in talking about a new role. The smart thing to do is to say, tell me more, or whatever is appropriate that gives the impression uh, that you want to know more about it. And look, you may be happy in your current role. I, we want you to be happy in your current role. If you're happy in your current role, more opportunities will come your way because people like being around happy people, okay? If someone came up to you tomorrow and offered you twice your current salary for the same job and the same hours, would you at least be willing to have the conversation? Would you? Uh, you'd have to be insane not to, and that's what open to opportunities means. It's not a commitment. It's not saying you don't like your current role. It's not saying you don't see a future there. It's not saying that you're actively looking or that you're not actively looking. It's just saying, if somebody wants to talk to me about a great job, I'm willing to listen to that. And mind you, when we say great job there, what we mean is they think it's a great job. And since they're talking to you, they know you well enough to know that you trust them well enough that they think it, it's worthwhile talking to you. So therefore, by definition, extending your trust to their ideas, it must be a great job. You may choose to feel differently about it than they do. That's fine. But you got to be crazy to say, no, I'm loyal and I'm not looking. You might as well just pull your head into your tortoise shell and, you know, like, yeah. Another thing, Wendy and I talk about this all the time. We joke about it. When you hear that, quote, 80% unquote, of jobs aren't advertised, and you wonder how those jobs are filled. And oh, by the way, it's a true stat. If you're wondering why those jobs, how those jobs get filled, this is your answer. They're filled by people in the recruiting or hiring managers or their network or their associated network, the network of their network, who are willing to talk about a new role. If I get an open rec and I don't have to involve anybody like a recruiter i can just talk to people in the organization and go find somebody 
That's what I'm going to do. And an internal hire is way better. Now, if I go external, I want my network talking to them before a recruiter reaches out, before HR reaches out. I, I want to avoid formality as long as I possibly can. I might have a couple of long coffees with you just to get a feel for you, right? And that's what the beauty of opened opportunities happens. When it happens, you are outside of the formality. You're outside of the structure and things can happen where there is not a rigorous criteria applied to every single one of your answers. It legitimately is a conversation. It's not an interview. It certainly is an evaluation, but I'd much rather be evaluated than interviewed if at all possible. Absolutely. I've beaten that up. I think most of the examples you talked about were people internally or people within your network or people you know, yeah, et sure. cetera. Yeah. How about the call from recruiters? Slightly different. Should, should folks be taking calls from recruiters? Yeah, sure. Uh, and it goes further than that. If a recruiter or a hiring manager, somebody you know that's hiring, or someone from HR calls even, pick up the call. And by the way, I'm going I'm to make a little aside here about HR. There's a group of managers, I don't know, 20%, that dread calls from HR. Okay, I fibbed. It's 80%. And they get a call from HR, and they practice what I call call avoidance. They're like, oh, God, maybe if I don't call back, maybe they'll call somebody <laughs> just else go or away. whatever. And I'm telling you, folks, if HR calls and leaves you a voicemail, and look, HR routinely makes this terrible, terrible mistake. It's a, it's a clumsy mistake. No offense, HR, I love you. But they make a terrible mistake of thinking nothing I talk about can ever be left on voicemail. And so they say, hey, this is Gerald from HR. Please call me. Folks in HR, please don't do that. You're not the CIA. You're not the OSS. You're not MI6. You can leave voicemails. Nobody's cracking your voicemail and listening to a salary offer you're going to make or a problem that somebody has. You, you can say something that doesn't reveal, doesn't break HIPAA laws, which is the Health Information Privacy Act in the United States for those of you overseas. And so whenever HR calls, that's the first call you make back. Even if they practice the dumb art of, you know, I really can't say on voicemail what I'm going to say to you on the phone. Pick up the phone, call them back. Call me. If, yeah, yeah. Hey, this is HR calls back. <laughs> yeah, man. And return the voicemail. And but let me let me say something else, folks. Don't ever do that to anyone ever again as long as you live. And if you do it to me, I can assure you, I will not call you back. Full stop. I don't care who you are. Okay. You call and say, hey, it's me. Call me back. No, not doing it. Okay. I'm just not. Uh, it's rude. Okay. I have to answer. I have to listen to you. And now you're telling me I have to call you back and you give me no clarifying context to help me understand how important this is relative to the 65,000 other things I have to do today. It's going to go to the bottom of the list. If I don't have enough information to contextualize something and figure out where it fits into my priorities, it's at the bottom. There you go. Now, yeah. a lot of other people think, a lot of other people think, well, it's for me, so therefore it should mirror the talk. No, bub, it's not. That's not how it works. It's certainly not how it works as an executive. Now, if you're my best friend, okay, as I'm walking to lunch, I'll call you. Hey, dude, I'm calling you back. Uh, and if I get your voicemail, I say, hey, dude, I'm calling you back. Don't call me again and tell me to call me back. Okay, tell me what's going on. If I can help or need to do anything, fine, but don't do that. I've actually been involved with this in offer situations where a company calls and says, hey, Roberto, really excited. 
I got great news for you. Please call me back. Well, they don't leave the offer, which is you're supposed to leave an offer on voicemail. And so Roberto calls back, gets voicemail. Hey, this is Roberto. Happy to call you back. And then the company calls again and they get Roberto's voicemail again because he's traveling because he's a busy guy. And they do the exact same thing. It's comical. It's just absolutely comical. So don't do that. Leave a specific voicemail. Mike, do you want to say anything about voicemails? No. Oh, my, Mike is stymied because we're so good. We are so good. Mike is so good. He's so deep in this podcast. Mike is forgetting that we have an ongoing joke about my leaving him voicemails and him not listening to them. Oh. But he calls But he calls me right back. He does. Yeah. 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 I leave that, by the way, that voicemails. drives Mark absolutely <laughs> crazy, crazy. I call him back. He goes, did you listen to my voicemail? No. 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 Yeah. So now we're, yeah, so after 20 years of business partners, we're finally realizing that I'm not going to leave him voicemails anymore. I'm just going to call him and say, hey, call me back and violate my own guidance. Yeah. Apparently, I don't follow your guidance. Yeah. Because if you call, I call back. That's just the way yeah. it is. That's the way it is. There are plenty of times you outrank me around here, so you don't have to follow my guidance. So yeah, when somebody calls, manager, hiring manager, recruiter, you pick up the call, you return the voicemail. This is not a betrayal of your current manager, of your employer. It's not. It happens all the time, way more at the executive level than it does at the manager level, okay? Now, we have podcasts about interacting with recruiters, okay? There's no question. And we give you specific guidance about it's okay to not like a recruiter and not return that recruiter's calls. It's totally fine. And it's okay to develop a relationship with one or two recruiters whom you feel you have a good relationship with. That's great, okay? And both independent recruiters and large firm recruiters, you know, executive search recruiters like Hydric and Struggles and so on. Do you worry? Um, no. I know you don't worry about it. You don't worry about much. No, I don't um, worry about anything. I, I think some folks worry about that if I return the recruiter's call, that somehow I am now on a list and my activities are now public and recruiters are sharing amongst each other, oh, yeah, Mark, Mike Ozan is, is looking for jobs. And somehow that's going to get back to my boss or my organization. <laughs> that is, in the time of digital computers smaller than your hand that is cro-magnon thinking um no that doesn't happen now but I'll, I'll be clear because i want people to understand this there's no list but that recruiter knows because you return calls you're in the game and folks don't jump to conclusions about what i just said you are either in the game or you're out of the game and 90 percent of executives are in the game and by game, I mean open to opportunities, okay? That's what you're doing. You're trying to help somebody out. You're strengthening your network. You may end up calling them and say, I need help filling a position. Or you might say to them, I've got a new boss and it's time for me to start looking. And I'm not suggesting you would only talk to recruiters, of course. But yeah, that's essentially what you're doing. The mindset of the recruiter will change from this is a guy I don't know whom I'm calling to, she is somebody who understands how the executive career matrix, which is a matrix, a web, welcome to the matrix, is not a ladder and they're not stupid. That's the first thing it says. If you were to say, say, hey, look, I'm returning to call, but you know, you don't need to call me. I'm loyal and I like my job and I'm not going anywhere. You've just told them you think your career's a ladder. 
you think that you can continue plying your trade the way you have before in your career. And it's not going to happen. You're yeah. at the top of the ladder. When you get into the executive clouds, the ladder ends and now you've got to move around in the clouds and having more people who know you and know the kind of person you are and know who your network is, the more opportunities will quote, fall in your lap. Yeah. Quote. Say no. And nine months later, when the recruiter has the the perfect opportunity for you. you and your buddy gets it. the job. Your buddy gets the jobs. Man, I just talked to that guy like nine months ago. How come he called you and not me? Uh, 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 but I'm bump. Yeah. Here's a podcast to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of times this conversation is going to happen over coffee or breakfast or lunch. So guess what that means, folks? You can be seen out with a recruiter on a sidewalk in New York City. Okay. You don't have to choose to meet somewhere you know that no one from work will ever go. Now, let's be clear. There's a difference between passive and active communication. You don't have to broadcast it. You don't volunteer to your boss that you're meeting with a recruiter. If your boss were to walk by and say, hey, Mark, how's it going? I don't think I've met your friend. I said, hey, boss, this is Mike. He's, he's a recruiter. And boss's eyes kind of go up. I said, boss, don't worry. He wanted to have coffee with me. He's looking for some folks. Our guys are protected. We're not talking about me. And the boss would go, oh, good. You're open to opportunities. That's smart. And by the way, if you're really good and you're open to opportunities and you get a better opportunity, your boss may reach out to you. That's another thing about the ladder. You assume that the boss, if you think of the ladder analogy, you assume the boss is one level up on the ladder. And so therefore, not part of your network in a way that you would think of your friends and colleagues and peers as part of your network. Well, that's ludicrous. Everybody can be in your network. So it's not vertical. And your boss would go, oh, okay, that's fine. No problem. Now, when you get back to the office, you say, he might say, if you're his top performer, she might say to you, please tell me that you weren't kidding about that, that you weren't just saying that in front of him. No, boss, really not. They're not talking to me about, you know, I'm not looking, okay? Just say, I'm, I'm not looking. That's not what I'm doing. But if your boss is smart, she knows you're open to opportunities. And they can't tell you not to be. Also, if you're, you know, we said don't volunteer it to your boss uh, as long as you're doing outside of work hours. And if you're working long hours, it's okay to take a lunch in the middle that is not work hours. If you do that, some bosses will misinterpret that you're volunteering that information of being a subtle in hint that you're unhappy. That's absolutely how they're going to interpret it, right? It's a subtle threat, right? I mean, yeah. some people will think of it as, as a threat, right? Yeah. So I know people like it when we give you words to say. I have a good friend who says, more words, please, all the time, more words. And I think that <laughs> Mike sometimes says, I think Mike's the only person who says, less words, dude, <laughs> less words, <laughs> at least when he and I are talking. But you might say this, hey, to be clear, I'm not looking for a change, okay? I'm happy here. And I'm always open to talking with recruiters or hiring managers for other firms. I find it helpful to, in the past to keep up with the state of the hiring market, to help with recruiting and retention for my own organization, to help people in my network who are looking for a change. I consider it part of keeping my professional knowledge up to date. I like it. Again, don't worry that meeting a recruiter implies to them that you're definitely interested in moving. Recruiting is a sales job and salespeople don't expect every person they meet to buy what they're selling. It's okay. You're just a prospect. They meet a bunch of prospects every day. Only one or two will turn into placements. It's just 
in some degree, it's a numbers game. Yeah, it occurs to me that there's a an, another advantage of being open to opportunities too, which is that you may have the conversation with somebody, learn more about the position because you suggest you're open to opportunities, yeah. and you find out that it's not right for you, but it's right for somebody else in your organization or yes. somebody in your network, and then you're in the position of hooking people up with opportunities that might be of interest to them. And that, how how is that bad for your relationships? Oh, it's not just how is it bad. Now you have a chip in the game. Now somebody owes you a massive favor. And by the way, Mike and I have talked about this before. We've talked about the favor economy often and how important it is to do mm. favors because it's part of the human societal construct. Not everything is capitalism. Some things are done out of the goodness of our heart and we don't need to be paid for them. And Mike and I have talked openly that we tend to be favor givers and not favor takers. Uh, I like the idea that a lot of people owe me a lot. And I probably am not going to cash any of those in because I think part of my job as a human being, as an ethical human being, is to set an example that I'm going to give all the time, no matter what. Oh, look, it's been, we just passed the 18 year mark where every week we give away everything Mike and I know for free, for heaven's sakes. I don't know how it's much great business more we model. can do. I, it's a, it is a great, great business model. By the way, as long as there's no costs associated with it, we're, we're not losing money. Of course, we're not making money either. <laughs> um, if, if only, partner, all the media servers, all the file servers, I guess at AWS and so on, right. if only those things were free. That'd be nice. Yeah. Look, it's okay if somebody approaches you and you recommend somebody else, maybe somebody beneath you in, the, in your organization. Don't just think about your retention numbers. Remember, the goal of retention doesn't have to be a pure 100%. The goal is for your retention to be higher than the corporate average, so you're fine, okay? Think strategically on this one. Other high performers will want to work for you if they see that high performers move on to other opportunities because you're open to opportunities and you expand an opportunity that's brought to you to those people around you and beneath you. The way to think about retention numbers is not to try to win, but to avoid losing. Avoid being the exec who can't keep her people. Like I said, being in the middle of the pack, above the middle of the pack is probably fine. And, and look, who knows? Maybe your company will realize that one of their keepers, somebody they really wanted to, is in play, and that motivate them to give her the move internally that she always wanted. She's only going to an interview. She's not leaving tomorrow. She's not disloyal. In fact, you could argue she's being loyal to her family. You're going to tell your people they have to be loyal to you before they're loyal to their family? No. Sorry. No. Okay, so the next point, which I personally love that my friend John Lucked taught me. Remember, John was one of the very yeah. few guests we've ever had. I think, did we not go to New York? We did, actually. We were in we, New York. Yeah, we went to his office hotel. New York. The New York Hotel. I remember the... Yeah, it might have been, been the Kimberly. Could have been. I think it was the Kimberly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to remember things 18 yeah. years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, if not you, who? At some point, as an executive, you're going to be asked that question. Okay, if not you, who? It's a big one, and it's pretty easy to get wrong. It's usually the second question you're asked, just for the record. The first question is, who do you think should be our next VP of engineering, CIO, 
CTO. It seems like in the technical space, they're all kind of new C-suite jobs. Pretty soon, there's going to be another version of C-suite jobs that's going to have a special title. And C-suite is going to be second tier. There's going to be E-C-suite, you know, which is executive C. I don't know. This All these C positions. It, no. Uh, title stop, inflation. Stop. Don't get going. Don't. I know. Folks, this, I is, know. this is a button. Yeah. This is a button. <laughs> and I'm going to save you all. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Mike. So they ask, who do you think should be our next so-and-so? You will not be asked this question if you are not being considered. Why would we ask somebody four levels down about a role at the top? And why, why would we say, if not you? Why would you have that prepositional phrase in the beginning, right? Why, why would you say that if, in fact, you were not under consideration? Yeah. Well, but the first question they ask is, who do you think should be our next so-and-so? So we haven't gotten to, if not you, who, but you're being considered. Remember, guys, we're off the ladder here. It may seem unrelated to where you are and the position they're talking about. It may, in fact, be unrelated to where you are. But the executive career matrix is not linear. It's not vertical. Look, if you believe you're a good choice, tell your questioner so. Don't push. Don't try to make such a powerful case that you're seen as believing you're the only one who could do it. That's not good. Look, you get to make your case and you get to do it in a way, but you have to do it such that you show some humility and respect that if you push too hard and you end up not getting it, they will assume there will be hurt feelings. So you make your case as if everybody in the room, you and this more senior person, for instance, understands that we're talking about you sort of in the third person and you're, you're, you're making a case, but you also know it's their decision and you're trying to help them make a good decision. You're not trying to get the job. And the decision is probably a lot more complicated than you realize. And there are going to be dominoes that need to fall at certain times and so on. And sometimes people wonder, why did this happen and that happen and that happen? Well, they were all connected, dude. And if you can't figure out how to connect them, start thinking differently and you'll figure it out sooner or later. But in many cases, as Mike was alluding to a minute ago, it's the second question that gives us the key. And what they say is, okay, if not you, who would be your second choice? The point here, when you get to the executive level, is that your organization knows that for many executive roles, everyone they ask will say they want the job. So how does asking a question, the first question, do you know anybody, if they already know the answer, how does that help them? Because it sets up the second question. They know you're going to go after the job. And then they can say, okay, but let's take you out of the equation. Mm. If it's not you, who? And here is the essence of the question. When John told me this, I thought, I'm the stupidest person ever. I was, I don't know, 35? The question becomes, how many people who are asked that question, because you're not the only person being asked, Dumbo, how many people will name you as their number two choice? Because if... Everybody says themselves first, and then everybody but you says you're their second choice. You're the one that's going to get it. That's right. Think about this in the context of a CEO change. All of her key directs want the role, or virtually all. Probably the 
well, I used to say the chief legal officer, the general counsel is not in the running, but nowadays general counsels are in the running. Uh, I hate to say this, this I'll get some hate mail, but CTOs are probably not in the running except for a very technical company. So they all say they're interested, but they all also know that they're going to have to work with whomever gets the role. Their number two choice is the person that has the best relationships to justify them stepping up. And if you're the number two and you step up and all these people say, well, it's not going to be me, it's going to be him or her, then that helps the executive team going forward. Suddenly, folks, suddenly now you see how this all comes full circle. You better learn this lesson now, because if you don't learn the lesson now, you won't be asked the question later and you definitely won't be told by, you won't be everybody's number two. Suddenly your relationships with your fellow executives, which have already been made or not, will make the difference. Yeah. And if, if you listen to this podcast and later on, somebody says, if not you, who, and you realize that you haven't been working on your relationships with your peers, oh, that's, you're, doing. That's, you're just, yeah. yeah, you just lost, right? Yeah. And part of the reason we're doing this cast and we're spending so long on it is because the latter is such a easy thing to think about. It's so logical. It's so mechanical. It makes it so linear and vertical and you can understand it. There's no complications, ladders, ladders, ladder. And then you get into this bubblegum and cotton candy world and geez, it's a complete mess. And you take your assumptions about the ladder in there and then suddenly you wonder why your career is stymied. And it's only because this kind of information, this cultural information that is available and known, I liken this cast to race don't chase as something that's known, but not everybody knows it. Why wouldn't everybody know that? That's why we're doing this. So again, if everybody names you as their number two choice, who's going to get the job? It's going to be you. And it's going to turn on your relationships and your knowledge about being open to opportunities. And your ability to understand opened opportunities and to embrace it is an important part of how you are able to answer that question. Now, look, guys, we just mentioned relationships. You're not going to get asked <laughs> that question unless your results justify it. And you're not going to get it unless your relationships support it. There you go. Well, yeah, we went a lot longer than I thought, but felt good. Yeah, this is a good one. I, I look back on my career before manager tools and Almost every mistake I've made mm -hmm. relative to my career would have been solved if I had listened to this podcast yeah. 30 years ago, 40 years ago. The first time I was sent up to be an aide to the general, I told the Devardi commander, sir, you should give this to somebody else. I'm getting out of the army in three years, which got me in a heap of trouble with Colonel Texera. I bet it did. I mean, that's, you know, that I mean, come on, come on, dumb, cocky. Yeah, that, that answer is wrong. It's, on so many levels, dude. We have to talk. We have to talk. <laughs> on so many levels. So many levels. Yeah. Oh, I'm just totally checked out. I'm checked out. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not really here anymore. So, folks, ditch the ladder. Executives don't live on a ladder. They live in the executive career matrix. It's complicated. It's inscrutable. But you can simplify the chaos around you by delivering results and building trusting relationships. Hua. Hua. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, partner. Love that. All right, everyone. Take care, and we'll see you next time.